Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Bees Tactical Podcast, where we try to get under the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm David Anderson, your host for today, and for this special debrief episode of Swansea v Brentford for Bees Tactical, I'm delighted to again be joined by Ben Church, Jack Army, Swansea. How are we? And thank you for joining us, Ben. I'm good, thank you. Well, as good as I can be after that display anyway, but... uh happy to be invited back i must have done okay last time yeah you did okay and i think the fact that you um were heavily beaten is why we've asked you back on <laughs> <laughs> no i'm really joking mate um yeah really loved hearing from you last time and i think it's um yeah it's a good opportunity i think to debrief these games as well not just preview so yeah thank you very much for coming back on yeah my pleasure okay i reckon we just get straight into it yeah let's do it okay so we've had 24 hours to digest it. Um, what's your overriding feelings and emotions after the game? Now you've had a chance to, to think about it a little. Now that I've thought about it, now, now I'm calm. I, I wasn't calm initially. I think <laughs> the majority of the fan base were very happy to get away with a point. I was happy to get away with a point, of course I was. But I w- it was a really concerning performance from a Swansea perspective, you'd have to say. I mean, I'd say the first quarter of an hour, it was a you know, it was tight, like we all expected, nothing really happened. And then when Brentford started taking control around the 20th minute, it was literally just, it was just plain sailing all the way. It, it's travesty you didn't win. There's no point denying it. I mean, the, there's a debate, obviously, the free kick was should have been disallowed. I haven't actually seen the goal back properly. It looked like an elbow from Bidwell. Even then, it was a bit of a, you could say it was a fluke goal. It could say it was analysts planning it in advance. We'll get into that later, probably. But, um... No, I mean, Brentford had so many chances. They dictated the play brilliantly from start to finish, exploited the wide areas because, I mean, we point out in the last podcast uh, how the wing-backs could be a bit of a con- uh, concern, how um, if they were too deep, it would have formed a back five, be it, making it too flat. I mean, the wing-backs didn't stay deep, but what Brentford just did is they targeted Norton with just constant uh, runs off the last man, constant balls in behind, over the top. And you got in down that side so many times. So, um yeah, shouldn't have been one one. Probably should have been two three nil. To be completely honest, and uh, yeah, it's definitely made a few fans rethink the top two race um, or automatic promotion race for Swansea. I think we're all looking to roll room now for a display this weekend. Yeah, I guess when you have a performance like that, you're always, <clears throat> I suppose, any performance really. But you're you're always looking to the next game. But yeah, just homing in on this one a little bit. Um, do you, do you think that went to plan or do you think it was reactionary? Do you, do you think there was this acceptance that Brentford might dominate the ball and you would try and defend your way through it? Or, or how, how do you think that, what do you think the plan was there? Well, I think we've been in a bit of a weird period of the season, to be honest, because a lot of the games that have been played recently have been on our home pitch before it got relayed after the Barnsley game. And that was purely just mud in the end it was a lot of direct football and to be fair i don't blame steve cooper for doing that because it w- really wasn't possible to play football the way that we'd normally like to on the pitch uh away games are a couple of similar scenarios barnsley away again was you know a similarly bad pitch but then you had the reading and watford games at home where the pitch was relayed and the pitch was in perfect condition and we reading especially we dictated the ball well in those games and we had uh probably deserved to come out with six points we played 
expansive football. It was quick. We were in control. That's kind of why I expected it to be a lot closer than it was against Brentford. I mean, Brentford are a better side than Watford. They're a better side than Reading. I'm not denying that for a second, but after seeing those two displays against uh, you know teams in the top six that have been there for a while as well, I really didn't expect uh, Brentford to dominate us like they did, to be quite honest. Yeah, it was dominance, wasn't it? It was, um, I guess, yeah, I, I saw that sofa score... Um basically their their attacking threat dominance that you can look through a game along the timeline and just see see who's posing all the attacking moments and um Swansea for just that first half there was I think there was just one attacking moment sort of towards the end or maybe two and then throughout the entire 90 that was sort of I think it was like seven attacking moments altogether um uh, yeah from from my perspective I can't see how any plan is that defensive I, I we've seen some defensive teams in this league such as um like Birmingham have been really defensive over the years uh Borough have as well but I don't know I, I don't think well Birmingham have shown less attacking intent but to show that little again in a top of the table clash when um, you're at home as well, and I, I don't know. It does. It didn't seem like it was a plan to me. I think it felt it, a bit it more. A plan. It, it was. Have it, been a plan. Yeah, it was more reactionary to the sort of situation and what Brentford were doing, and it was. It was just almost impossible to stop. And if you didn't shrink into that that lower lower shape where the three midfielders were in front of the three centre backs, and then the wing backs were quite far back as well, I think you'd have just had too much space. I mean, I think the only time where you'd plan to play a game like that is when you know that you're an inferior opponent and you're going to ha- get beat badly if you uh, press and expose yourselves, creating space in behind. I mean, we barely entered the final third. I think the one time we did, it may have been the Hurahan chance in the first half, not the goal, the one that got blocked. It was, um, as I previously mentioned on the podcast last time, it was Jamal Lowe nicking the ball off someone in uh, Brentford's own half, which then allowed us to break quick. And obviously we only see that once or twice a game it's not a common occurrence when it does happen it does create a decent chance like it did there but in terms of what we looked to do when we were on the ball it was just we we were i think we may have shown you too much respect i know you're a good side but i mean we'd get on the ball we'd just hit it long it, it, there was no idea no invention to what we were doing and then when we defended you got your game plan perfect perfectly set up just to exploit the wide areas in between the wing backs and the outside centre backs. You'd have Canyos, you'd have Embuemo positioned between the two of them. The wing backs learnt from Derby. They learnt not to stay deep because we just uh, let Derby control the ball when we did that that one time in that previous game a month ago. Um, but no, I think Brentford kind of knew, right, if the wing backs stay deep, then we'll just control the ball in deeper areas and look to penetrate the back line. If the wing backs don't stay deep, then we'll just hit them long. So that's going to throw up an interesting question for Steve Cooper and the rest of the coaching staff now if uh, other teams try to copy that game plan what do they do I think the saving grace could well be that other teams aren't going to possess the same quality as Brentford if they don't possess the same quality then maybe we can uh, impose ourselves a bit more on the game but I think we need to really transition out of this uh, common theme where we're taking a more direct style now because previously I was uh, putting it down to the pitch but even though the pitch Yesterday wasn't as good as we saw against Reading and Watford. It can't just be for that reason. That, that we got to be braver on the ball. That that's one thing Steve Cooper says all the time. We got to be brave on the ball. And yesterday was the complete opposite of that. I think. I I do agree. I think being brave on the ball is also another way of saying that you. Yeah, I guess you've got to earn the right to play, and you you have to win that midfield battle. And then when you do get the ball, what are you doing with it? And and what what are your options? But. Yeah, maybe we'll come on to that a little bit further. But I think it's a good time to look at a couple of points from our preview because I think we we brought up a couple of things that um, uh, yeah we sort of said a few things that we thought we'd highlight and see if they would come to fruition in the game. Whether um, I was wondering whether you're sort of too reliant on low and are you and um, if they if they sort of don't get shots away, then where else are shots coming from? And the midfield feels very. It, it feels stodgy, I guess, against top opposition. I don't, I don't know how it looks regularly against some of the weaker teams, but there aren't that many weak teams in the league now. So is there a bit of a fear that if those two aren't shooting, that there's goals coming from anywhere else? Or are you just are you basically OK or happy with what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, this discussion has been going on for a few weeks, a few months now about where the goals are going to come from. Um, you're right in saying we're reliant on Ayu and Lowe, who hadn't got brought in to do that. Ironically, did it yesterday, although it was a fluke and, you know, 
it, it really shouldn't have happened the way it did. I mean, Hurahan didn't lock up the speed. I, I think I don't think he's you know he hasn't pl- played many games. For Villa. He's only had sixty minutes against Forest before this game. So uh, possibly we'll see more chances coming from Hurahan as uh, the season goes on. Now Morris hasn't made his debut yet. I think. The games where we've seen more of the chances fall to like wing backs, for example, are games where they're allowed to get up to the final third consistently, and there were very few occasions where they really got out to the half. They weren't on the same lines as our centre backs, but they didn't really get into the opposing half many times. Um, I do think it's a possibility that our goal scoring becomes unsustainable if the wing backs don't become part of the build up play more consistently. It's, it's odd because it does only really happen, I'd say, displays like that against a better opposition. But then when you actually look at the result, purely on a results basis rather than performances, we've lost the Norwich. And I, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is just we've lost the Norwich as a top six rival and that that's it. And there was a game where we could have really got a draw out of that as well. It, it, like Bournemouth nil nil, we probably, if anything, deserve to lose that game. We definitely deserve to lose the game yesterday. Um... It is a concern. It's definitely a concern. I mean, I, I have a feeling Rotherham, we could switch formation. We, we could switch to have a number 10 just to, like you say, have somebody else uh, to help with chance creation, to help with uh, scoring opportunities. As good as the 3-5-2 is, I worry that in these big games it can come across as negative because other teams will have a real go. Maybe we don't. But in a games against opposition further down the table, we do still create enough chances with it, as odd as it sounds, and it just offers that defensive solidity. So I do think it'll be the main formation as we, as the season come, comes to a close now. But um, I I do think against maybe more defensive opposition, we we may opt to switch to a formation with a number ten. That's interesting. I guess that's a, more of the points in the preview as well. We were talking about um, just what happens with these second set of games now because you've played everyone once. Um, it's the second time we've played. Uh, we Brentford looked stronger than the last time we played. Um, we made some changes. Obviously, we had to play Charlie Good last time um, through injuries and rotations and bits. And our attack was much better last night. Um, our defence was better. We just controlled the game from start to finish. But you looked considerably weaker. Um, and that was something I sort of worried a little bit. I think relying on low and um, IU and just getting away with some good transitional moments, teams will start to get a bit smarter now and they'll know which phases to, to press or push high or let you have the ball. or And I, I think that might be a bit of concern. And, and the other point I brought up a little bit was um, what I think is just how... It's hard to say you're running hot in defence, but uh, you've only conceded 14 goals. I just I just think I can't see that you're going through the next 22-odd fixtures and keeping that many clean sheets. Uh, I, I'm not sure you defend as well as um, that goals against tally is... Uh, is sounding how did you how, how did you think I guess this leads into the a little bit of the question about um how you felt last night went and whether it was planned or not but I think you took as you can see from the xg timeline you took a bit of a took a bit of a battering from minute one all the way to the 90th minute yeah I mean as I mentioned earlier nothing really happened at either end until about minute 20 but then after that Brentford just started and they didn't stop going until the end I don't I don't think the red card actually had much of a bearing on proceedings, if I'm honest, in terms of chance creation and like that you were actually having. I mean, up until the red card, the 69th minute, what's that about? 1.3 something, 1.4 xG. You ended on 2.6. I mean, it's it's, it's not a massive difference. It, it, it isn't like you got to the red card and neither team had created much, and then you just uh, went wild at the end. It, it was a consistent performance throughout from Brentford, and I I, I don't know, like. Every team has off games. It's the championship. I mean, even the best championship teams put in bad performances. It is just concerning when it happens in this manner, I suppose. Like, I I wouldn't be so worried if we hadn't seen performances where we created very little fairly recently. And by created very little, I mean created very little plus in the way that we'd want to. I mean, Cooper said so many times the way we want to play football we we want to be brave on the ball. We want to be expansive. We want to move the ball quickly, you know. And I don't think we've seen it enough for how many times he said it in interviews. That's why I think Rotherham is very big because even though they are low down in the table, a lot of fans may just expect us to 
win that game, but that, that really won't be the case because they're on really good form at the moment. We're hitting them in a hot streak. They've they, they got that mentality now where they know they, they've put a couple of wins together and they're almost out of the relegation zone. A lot of people had actually kind of written them off almost. And um, I don't know, I just get the feeling as good as the mentality in the squad is if we put in another bad performance against them, especially against a team that's so low down, confidence may begin to wear a bit and I hope I hope I'm wrong because we haven't really seen any of that so far but um yeah we need we need a performance more than anything I, I need to see us play good football I guess this is a good time to maybe just quickly briefly run over the the starting lineups do you is that is that how you'd have gone would you have made any changes to that or are you quite are you, does your does your team almost pick itself I guess if Bennett's not there Norton's coming in um the midfield does that pick itself as well? The forward line certainly does, and so do the wing backs. What, what do you think? Um, well, I, I actually want to say that about the wing backs purely because I would have started Manning in that game. Bidwell as good as he started the season, he hasn't been, he hasn't hit the same heights he did early on. I think Manning against uh, Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup is our best player, albeit a changed lineup for both teams. So I probably would have gone with Manning just because he probably would have given us more of a element in possession uh, of the ball um i would have gone Corey smith obviously at the quad injury i do feel like we missed his tenacity in midfield trying to deal with the silver and no one dealed with the silver or dealt with the silver like we kind of expected um hurahan obviously played then because um smith wasn't there george byers went on loan to portsmouth so we're kind of already if the smith injury is serious i don't really know if we know for sure yet we're lacking depth there which is a problem bennett's only made his comeback from injury against Forrest. So obviously he was on the bench, like you say, and Norton came in. It's a shame that Norton played in this game. I love him on the ball, but I don't think he is as defensively resolute as, or certainly Bennett anyway. You would have had Cabango in that um, right centre-back spot instead, and, and maybe we wouldn't have been targeted down that flank like we were. Um, yeah, the, the lineups basically did pick themselves because of injury. I think it was too soon to start Morris in a game like this. I'm actually hoping he starts on the weekend because he didn't even get on the pitch against Brentford, and I think that was the plan. Um, but I think it probably would have been too start uh, too soon to start Morris in a game like this, so that pretty much was always going to be the team other than possibly Manning and for Bidwell. Yeah, interesting. I, I guess from a Brentford perspective as well, it was almost, the team almost picks itself. It was the strongest team they could, they could select. Uh, with De Silva coming back in and yeah, he he definitely made a difference. You could see how much, yeah, how much um, sort of. I think it's just continued impetus Brentford had from like start to finish, where Luton there was just a huge drop off, and we we were worried um, a bit sort of how much that ten day break would would have a bearing on the teams, and uh, it definitely did against Luton. The second half was a real drop off, but there was no sign of that against Swansea. Uh, it was just it was just relentless from start to finish. I. I think we we probably dealt with the pitch a little bit better and were more comfortable with it bobbling around and playing at speed. But it, just the the willingness to attack and yeah, moving the ball around in the deep areas. Are you and um, and low may as well not have been there. You know, it was just picking himself in between yeah, them. They barely and the ball was just the being spread wide. It was yeah. I I think that was that. That's why I asked so much about um, whether you think this was planned because you can't really expect to have your front players do that and, and and deliver that amount of those those pressures and get that close to the ball or that far away from the ball and not actually impact anything um yeah for over, in terms of performance over the game i guess they won fouls in the end and won a couple of free kicks and got the ball up a few times but yeah for the 90 minutes it was it was quite a poor display but yeah de silva definitely um impacted impact proceedings for brentford um I reckon we go on to a bit of the game and a little bit more detail around that then. Um, and yeah, some of the key moments. Uh, so obviously it finished 1-1. Um, the goals are really, really close together. And I think that changes some of our perceptions as well. I think, yeah, I, it felt like Brentford should have scored a lot earlier than they did. And the fact that it was 0-0 for so long, it always had that feeling that Swansea could nick something on the break. And when Lowe did get it, there was a bit of a worry because he was getting it with just the back line ahead of him. It wasn't like he had four players to take on. He was he was quite up the field. Um, obviously, I'm not going to ask you if you think the scoreline was fair because I think that's a bit of a silly question. But uh, <laughs> I think looking at some of these underlying numbers, like 538 have it as 2.88 to Brentford and 0.1 to Swansea. Infogol's similar, 2.65 to Brentford versus 0.25 
um, non-shot XG isn't too much. It's a little bit less flattering to Brentford, but the dominance is there. Like, what is there anything you can really add in terms of that? To, I mean, to the I mean, I'd add. I don't know how it keeps happening. Do I swear something even worse than this happened with Birmingham on the opening day? Did it not? So one nil, and it was even worse than this. Just about the same. Yeah, it was similar. It was a bit less. I think that Birmingham goal. It was. I think that was 0.3. 0.03, sorry. 0.03, God. Yeah, it was like a header from the edge of the box, which was from yeah. like miles out, like sort of a 30-yard header yeah, or something. Yeah, I swear it's happened twice in two seasons here with Birmingham. I think that was the one last year and it <laughs> happened again this year. Yeah, yeah, they, um, they've got a habit of doing yeah. this to us, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was... Um, I don't know what I can yeah, add it... in, in terms of this game, if I'm honest. I mean, we, we know you deserve to win. We know you deserve to score a few. I, we know we didn't deserve to score at all. I mean, what I will say is poor game management from Brentford. I don't. I hate to like come on here and criticise Brentford because they dominated us. But you go one nil up finally. Okay, you you've been unlucky not to be leading now. How you can give away a free kick in that area? And there was really no need to give away the free kick in that area because he, he was in a one v two situation at wide and had no support when he won that free kick. I mean, it, it surprised me when the foul was made i was watching like i can't believe they fouled us there and i was like this is probably going to be our last chance of the game you know 77th minute 10 men in a game that we've been on the receiving end of before we got a man sent off i'm thinking we're not going to get a ball into a dangerous area like this again the goal was probably a foul but even then like you can prevent that by not giving away a free kick in the first place so um it, they, they will be kicking themselves in that sense but I'm, I'm sure they'll just pick themselves up and go again next game and carry the momentum on because what I said in the previous podcast about whoever wins the game will feel like they have a real chance of automatic promotion Brentford will feel like they've won this game like performance wise they know they've won that game convincingly as well and I feel like that momentum probably will build now Swansea I, I know I've said the mentality has been strong all season I'll be interested to see how Cooper approaches this now. How he looks to pick the boys up because they'll they'll um they'll be happy with the point, but they'll feel as concerned as us probably that they weren't in the game. You know, this is a team that potentially we're in the playoffs with. Probably not. Probably, you know, I said one or the other goes up. It looks a lot more open just based off that game alone. If you want to look at it that closely, but um. Yeah, that that would have given Brentford a psychological boost. I I don't know what it's going to have done to Swansea. We'll have to see how that pans out in the coming weeks now. Just look at the timeline of events then. Um, I see the first half was obviously just shot heavy for Brentford. Then you got a shot on about 35th minute with Hurricane that was blocked. One of your only two. Um, go into half-time... Um, pretty dominant then come out at half time the same pattern continues and it's it's just still relentless um, you're struggling to get out you can't really connect from defense to the forwards it's, it's it gets a bit stretched but at the same time the midfielders are quite deep and I don't think you ever really got to grips with De Silva in the middle or Jensen who had probably quite a really good game in the in the middle there and Janelt as well that I think they barely probably it's a bit of a funny cliche but I don't think they need to change their tops they had such an easy game that the, the amount of fouls that they had to put, sort of Hurahan had to make and Fulton as well just to stop them, um, and then the goal and the, the goal comes and um, Fosu sneaks in between Cabango and um, Mark Gui and you're thinking ah okay this is it then Brentford have finally gone ahead and it, it probably reflected play but Brentford made a sub it was um, I think it was Sergi Canos went off for Marcus Force and he was the, I think the sub was ready before the goal and. Um, let the play the the move um, sort of carried out. Uh, the goal went in, and then Force was told to wait a little bit, and then everyone celebrates the goal, and then you're quite you're elated, and then a few minutes later, Force comes on for Canos, and I think in that confusion um, on the left hand side about who should be where, that's that's kind of how it led to that foul. I think they weren't right on that side, and then the ball goes forward, and someone rushes in and you give away a free kick, and yeah, maybe this is a good time to talk about how you. How you saw the the free kick, the free kick goal, whether he meant it, and then the analyst chat about about Cooper and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, I'd be surprised if Cooper had come out and said that, and it was just complete fabrication. I mean, it's a tough one in there because you say Hurahan didn't exactly look like he was shaping to shoot. We know from the playoff <laughs> final, 
Raya's positioning was, you know, he does have a tendency to go high, and the analyst probably did spot that. But it's such a tough one. I mean, it's one of those cross, uh, one of those things in football now, and it's just probably got a bit more common over the last five years. You will see people, you know, who are talented on set pieces aim for that far corner with a cross, and they kind of know, okay, if somehow there's confusion. Um, maybe maybe it does just go in. Normally, though, those sort of ones are the ones where it bounces once because no one makes a first contact on it. The keeper expects a first contact on it, and then it goes in. This was just Raya coming out to try and punch it, and then a bit of an elbow from Bidwell. I mean, I mean, when the keeper goes down in that situation, normally the ref just trusts the goalkeeper because goalkeepers get win fouls so easily in situations like that. But then, obviously, nothing happened. Nothing came of it, and... Yeah, it's a mess, and it's, it's, it's that entire few minutes is is a mess from uh from, maybe from the ref, certainly from Brentford. So um, yeah, not much else to say other than that. I guess I'll just add that I think I think you're right. It is a complete mess. The whole thing. I think the phase of play, the refereeing and stuff, which you might chat about, probably hopefully not. But uh, but no, I think you're bang on with what you were saying about um putting it into an area. So you you kind of aim for that back post, and you just hope that if no one does connect with it or if it's missed, it just goes in. And and I I think. Well, um, Coop, I guess Coop, what Cooper is trying to claim is that this is some kind of brainwave Fulham playoff final moment where Joe Bryan, they actually studied something and he took a dedicated shot and caught him out on his near post. Whereas I think saying that you've seen your analysts see something when you're just getting a person to take a free kick and put it in an area and it goes in, I think that's that's a bit different to saying that you found an edge and you can see a huge weakness in someone's game because I, I don't think they had and I don't think they did, but um, celebrate it as you want. And yeah, I mean, they're all pumped. I think it's a results business, isn't it? And yeah, of course you're it losing and you're getting battered and you, you get that goal. But I, I'm not sure I completely believe him that an analyst... I, I don't see what the analyst would have seen or suggested there because it's not really anything as I was saying about an edge you're not really sort of presenting anything new saying let's put a free kick in here low flat and aim for that back post because that's that's kind of what everyone's doing at that point isn't it yeah I mean I doubt the analyst said to see if people let's get Jake Bidwell to try and elbow <laughs> David Raya in the chin and see if he misses the ball so um I, I don't know we'll never know is the truth he, he said Cooper said that now who only knows what he was doing doesn't he it's just spe- us speculating it's it's not to the whatever way you look at it, it's not to the same extent as extent as the Joe Bryan thing because that was um that was that was something else that was well planned, well thought out, like a hundred percent for sure. I, I mean, Huran's maybe it's not even something with Raya. Maybe that's just something he does normally. He went in that deep wide position, puts it towards that back post, and hopes something happens. What I will say is Raya's high position. If like most keepers probably wouldn't be as high as Raya in that situation. They, they they don't miss the ball regardless of the elbow. If they're deeper, then they're just reacting to the first contact on the ball. So they can say they've spotted that, but I think that was probably... I didn't realise as such, but apparently that was common knowledge anyway about his high position, and he's, he's done that consistently for a while. And other teams um, have supposedly picked up on that as well. But um, yeah, like we'll never know, will we? It's the truth, we'll never know. No, no, no. I think it's it's right to assess that he's he comes and he tries he tries to command and he's he does have a high position. I think that's <clears throat> I think that's widely understood. That's that's okay. Um, uh, he's a small keeper. He's own he's not a big dominating keeper, but he he's comfortable. But yeah, I think you hit on something there, saying that if he is coming for that, he should be cleaning that out, elbow or not. And he and that's where I think you have to understand that he possibly has been impeded so much that he couldn't get there because otherwise he probably would. Like there was no, there was no one in his path. He could clearly see it coming through. It's, it seems really silly not to blow up a foul. I think fouls are given for a lot less in terms of keeper contacts, and when the ball's high and moving slowly, when it's at speed and it floats in like that, I, I, th- I think the referee struggled there. I think in his head, I felt like, and this is something that happens. It's, it's not, it's not easy to prove or talk about, but. I think when you have a moment, you're you're in an away stadium. I know there's no fans there, but it's just the referee, it's the coaches. Um, he's already sent off Norton, um, Swansea are getting battered. I, I think in his head, there's a little bit of a leveling up that he's trying to do, and I'm not saying he should have didn't want to call up that for that moment, but you, something something went on there where it, it's obviously much easier to blow up that goal. Why some for some reason he's decided to let that stand? And yeah, it's it's just a little bit confusing to see, but. Um, we won't dwell on that too much. Uh, 
It, um, it's a go. I think what possibly made the difference is from what I remember, what I saw anyway, I don't think Bidwell really jumped. I think it was kind of a standing arm that went into Raya. I'd have to watch it back, but um, normally if a striker, well, in this case, Bridwell's a striker, he's in the attacking area, goes up for like a, a aerial ball with the goalkeeper, and then the goalkeeper ends up on the floor, they both jump. Normally the ref, that's just an instant free kick, you know what I mean? But if Bidwell didn't really go up for it as much, then or didn't jump particularly high, if you get what I mean. Maybe didn't really notice it as such. Mm, yeah, no, no, that's understandable. I, I guess it. Yeah, the the still I've seen, he looks quite high, but it's hard to see whether he is off the ground. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's that's probably a good point. I think there's not that many angles of it, but um, but yeah, we won't dwell on that anymore. So yeah, that was the equaliser, and uh, the rest of the game just went. Uh, well, it was just it was still one sided. It was it was Brentford trying to trying to make a breakthrough and and um you putting bodies in the line and making saves and uh, yeah preventing preventing an equalizer it was uh, sorry preventing the winner I, I i felt like it was going to come i'm surprised it didn't i think we i think we did enough to get it it was just yeah i, I don't know maybe you do have to say that it was um it was a quality defensive performance to keep it 1-1 in the end well, i mean you had chances after after the equalizer you had them like um I think there was one big chance. I don't see who it was assigned to, but it looks like a chance of about 0.6. had one, I think, an 85. Yeah, um, 0.6, 0.7 next year. It's a big chance, something like that, in that region, is it? Uh, yeah, so just going back to the preview, I guess, you were a bit... You obviously worried about De Silva and Mbwemo and um, the patterns out wide. Um, like how, I think what was noticeable was how much... Um, we switch play. I think when the ball was on the right, we would just that ping over to the left to either Henry or or Canos. It was used quite a few times to just get us isolated with Norton or Roberts or whoever was back. Um, how I, I wonder if we're just moving on to the limitations of your of your system there. But how do you think you dealt defensively with that? What well, you, do you think you got there? You saw the game plan in the opening stages. It was to have the midfield three shift right across to stop pre- uh, penetration out wide, and what you what they were tra- kind of trying to do is use the byline as another man and try and pen them in, stop them circulating the ball around the midfield block. But like you say, the switch of play was just on because the winger was able to find space away from the wing back and that whole idea of shifting the midfield block across to try and pen them in on the byline, that kind of ended relatively quickly. And then it almost felt like if that wasn't going to work, there wasn't really another idea in place of what to do if that doesn't work. There was... Uh, no plan B. Um, there's no point denying it. We didn't deal with it well at all. Um, it, it was the wide areas, like you say. There was the switch of play, change the point of attack, and then once it changed the point of attack, it was either a ball just behind or a ball over the top or whatever. And we didn't really have the men in the right places to deal with it. And I, I appreciate the wing back staying higher. I didn't want to see a flat back five. I said that before. And I think a flat back five would have definitely given you complete control of the game but I think what sealed it in the end personally was every time Woodman had the ball or Gehi or any of the back three because we only had that one single pivot in Mac Grimes which I still think this will test of this system I do think it'll work against lesser teams but against you all they had to do is shadow Grimes and because he couldn't get on the ball we had no angles no passing lanes to progress into the next third I mean the wing backs when they did get the ball, very rarely, maybe they had a pass open to Ayu and Lowe, but they were just marked relatively easily as well. I think the few times Ayu and Lowe did get the ball ended up being offside. I think they were offside twice each quite relatively early on, and that frustrated me. Because I'm thinking they, they weren't particularly like instances where you'd expect them to be offside. It just felt like they'd mistimed relatively easy situations. Um all in all, it, 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 the plan didn't work. I don't think we adapted to it. I think, if anything, you may have hoped that you would have had Hurahan or uh, Fulton, whichever one was ball side, dropping back to help Grimes out, help connect to the midfield, but it didn't happen. I, I do think it, it won't play out this way over the next few games because I don't think you play Josh Silver every week in this league. I don't think you play Josh Silver every week in the Premier League. That caliber of player it's a very specific skill set by specific i mean just complete skill set what he has kind of a nightmare to play against because he's pretty much better at you at everything almost in that uh center midfield position so 
I'm, I'm kind of holding hope that we'll still maintain our form now coming into the next few games, but we, we possibly need to look at adapting from the free, the way we defend in the three-five-two. if something like this happens again, have a backup plan. You're definitely right about Hurahan being ahead of Grimes and picking up De Silva, and that just seemed a bit of a mismatch to me. I don't think that was a good battle in terms for for Connor. Um and just coming into the team as well, like he played against Forrest, I believe, on the weekend, didn't he? Yeah, he did play against Forrest. Um, so, yeah, confident, ready to come in. But this game was a big step up. And I just think he was so advanced. I think like, like he was trying to he was trying to be the one that made those first pressures when Josh got the ball, for instance. And then the space between him and Grimes or Fulton to the, to the left was just huge. And it was almost like it was almost like he was given that 10 role to do what someone like Dander would do or just be a bit more busier so if he did get on the ball he could quickly feed um, low and Ayu but he was just played out of the game so easily and it just um, it just kept happening and happening but but yeah you uh, you live and learn like, the only thing I'll probably keep going about on the on the shape a little bit is do you, th- do you think 3-5-2 has a bit of a shelf life for teams and then I, I don't, that's going to sound weird because I don't want it to just seem like it's talking reactionary in terms of this game. But I, I think it is quite a static formation. It, it is just really reliant on wing backs being brilliant, getting up and down. And you um, you also hope that your midfielders are better than your opponents so they can get on the ball and then feed wing backs. And I, I don't know. It, do you feel like do you feel like this is a formation that's going to take you to basically the playoffs or, or push you for automatics? I mean, I said we're in the automatic promotion race last podcast now i'm not even so sure i hate to be that reactionary but i think what's a good thing to point out with the free back formation is we've seen it at times this season depending on who we're playing and what shape they're in how it works so well i think the south wales derby we lined up in the three five two they had their four four two and what that just did because they had the two forwards that just allowed us to overload their system and basically every aspect of the game the three center backs could just bypass the two forwards with ease and then you have a midfield five against their midfield four three centre mids against their two centre mids every time had been many occasions but every time we played a 4-4-2 this season we have dominated them regardless of what team we're actually playing so it probably suits certain teams or certain games better than others it's like I think Millwall have done it this season I think Coventry I think you have when they have a uh, what you call a goal kick or a situation, a free kick, deep, whatever. You just stick three forwards up, and because we have the three centre backs, it's just man for man, and they can't play out. This is this is a pretty simple way of man marking the midfield. Whoever drops back, that forces us to go long. We're not particularly good. We're not particularly bad going long, but it's it's not how we'd want to play ideally. The problem is. If we on about switching from the three-five-two, we played a four-two-three-one and a four-three-three last season. They, the four-three-three was a little better, but the four-two-three-one was abysmal. It didn't suit us really at all. I think what's more likely is possibly we switch to a three-four-three, possibly a three-four-one-two. I, I do think the free back, the back three, is going to persist either way because that ever since that change. It was literally straight after lockdown last season. It was an instant change in the way we play, an instant change in the results. I think one thing you can't be giving up when maybe your patterns of play aren't what you want them to be is you can't give up the defensive solidity you have, even if the numbers say it shouldn't be sustainable. Because if you lose that and you don't have your attacking intent that you're trying to regain, then that's when things start falling apart. So I really can't see... That's reverting from the back three. The only thing I can really ch- uh, see changing is either the way we set up the midfield or either the way uh, we possibly set up the attack, possibly go into a front three instead of the front two. Yeah, I think a front three, having Ayu a bit more disciplined and have him just actually in a zone and then give him more defensive responsibility as well is probably why this system is how it is because you, you can just let him roam around in the front and... You, you've got the wing backs to cover that side and you've got three midfielders and then you've got three centre backs. So you're almost excusing him in a way and trying, I guess if that's how Cooper wants to get the best out of him, then then that's his uh, that's his prerogative, isn't it? It's, it's how he does it. But yeah, I'm not sure how he fits into a more structured system and whether you let him be the only central forward and have two wide players around him, whether that would work. But then Cooper has to accept that he has to give up something else behind that. And I'm not sure he's ready to, not ready to, to do that yet um okay i'm going to put you on the spot now uh have you got any positives for swansea last night positives 
Um, <laughs> yeah. We didn't lose. <laughs> we got a point. Um, we scored our first free kick in four years since Gilfie Sigurdsson. Like, I, I can't find a positive for that display in open play. I mean, I'm, I'm just disappointed that in a game where I think we really could have gained a lot of self-belief in a game where we could have really seen had we grown from the reverse fixture where, it, it, you know, we, we deservedly got a point at the reverse fixture. We, we we really just didn't turn up. The game plan was wrong. I, I honestly can't find an actual... I mean, the spirit, the whole... Say the spirit, I think, after going down to 10 men, even though we did give up chances, I think we did well not to crumble. We did well to, you know actually get up the field after going 1-0 down, even though once you're 1-0 down, that's probably when teams do get up the field because they have nothing to lose then. I think even though it was under one thing that's probably different between our Swansea side and a few others in the division is after after going down to 10 men, after going 1-0 down, that becomes 2-3 against a team with Brentford's quality. I think with us, we possibly would have had more belief that we could have got something out of the game than others. Other than that, I mean... I really can't find a positive from the game as a whole, if I'm honest, in the way we set up or anything. I put you on the spot there, and it's hard to to bring out any positives from um from like a performance like that. I think yeah, you just have to look at the result and um yeah, just talk about the resilience and um, the fact that you've actually somehow got that result. But uh, positives for me, I think um, Kabango and Gui, I think those are those are two defenders that are definitely going places and whether that's with with Swansea long term or where where they move to um just on the ball and defensively i think they're let down a little bit by Norton beside them but those two are those two are proper players like you can see everything about them and they're still so young so give them two or three years and yeah without doubt they'll probably be playing in the premier league i'd say so and i think yeah, he will be there next year whether mm. that's on loan with a lower club i think if lampard had stayed there chelsea may even have had a chance on the periphery of the matchday squad to be quite honest there was talk of it while lampard was still there they were going to give him a chance in the summer he was probably one of the only players who remained somewhat composed on the ball in yesterday's games so i suppose that is a positive to be honest but i'm not even surprised with that from mark Ahey, to be honest because you know, he's so two-footed as well, which obviously helps as a centre-back. We're playing him on the left, even though he's right-footed. But he is so confident on his left foot as well. You saw he obviously ventured into midfield a few times, and that's 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 not uncommon. He's done that quite a few times this season. That's happened less so as Roberts has become more of a factor for us in the final third, whereas before it was more of an asymmetrical system with Bidwell being basically the far more advanced wing-back and Roberts would sit deeper. So, um, yeah, I suppose that is a positive. Yeah, he playing well, but that that's you say that after every game with Bakke, he, he's such a good player. Yeah, really good on the ball. Just some lovely clip passes out wide, and yeah, stepping up into midfield, he's he's um he's he's an impressive player. Um, uh, anything for bees? Like um, any sort of major positives with Brentford? What would you say, sort of looking in? Um, I'd say Ivan Tony looks sharp, even though he didn't get a goal. I know he's been on a bit of a drought. But say a drought, yeah, it's not. I wouldn't say it's anything to be massively concerned about. I can't see that continuing at all. Josh De Silva looks like if he stays fit, he's going to be a major part in what separates you possibly from the teams going for the top two and the teams fighting for the playoffs. I don't think it's normal to have a player of that quality in midfield in this division. Defensively, you stopped everything. You're clearly capable of dealing with a long ball game. I'd, I'd say. If you can kind of iron out the, you know, I want I don't want to say mistakes, but because you know it shouldn't be happening to you like this. But I do think there is a thing called game management. I do think Brentford maybe that's one area they need to lock on improving on, and they've improved on that massively since the Dean Smith era. I mean, the Dean Smith era, you'd go, you'd give up two nil, three nil leads, and they wouldn't, and people wouldn't bat an eyelid because that was just something that happened. You were so defensively frail. And once you conceded one, you'd start panicking. But what Thomas Frank has done is he's made you, he has made you defensively resilient. But I do still think there's, um, particularly with Janssen there, I know he hasn't, hasn't been playing much this season. But when Janssen was there, we saw it last season as well. As when Brewster was just gifted a goal in the playoff semi-final when the game should have been done. And that made it a bit more tight going towards the closing stages of the game. You, you, you do need to see out the 1-0 lead against 10 men when... The ten, the eleven men weren't even in the game to begin with. You know what I mean. And uh, I know 
after that, Gamey looks a lot harder to say that Swansea are going to be in the top two race compared to Brentford because if performances continue like that throughout the rest of the season with both teams, Brentford should continue in good form and it'll probably be a bit harder for Swansea. But either way you look at it, it was a six-pointer. You know, it's a point gained for Swansea is two points dropped for Brentford in a kind of an event where Brentford would have uh, been in a much stronger position had they uh, held on to the one nil or extended that lead uh, coming into the rest of the championship season now. You know, you still have a game in hand on us. But, um, yeah, I guess, I guess there's a lot of positives to take from the game. The only thing I'd probably say is um, you've got to see out leads like that. From that position, you want to be seeing that game, especially to concede so quickly after you have scored. But, um, yeah, let's keep um, let's move it swiftly on. Um, weak points, I think um, it's probably... You probably mentioned a few of them there, but any major weak points or, or big weak links you feel like um, might be addressed before this window this window closes? I can't see you recruiting anyone else to improve the start in 11. I think you've done the bulk of your recruitment already in terms of possibly other things to improve on. Um, despite you dominating the game like you did, there was still one or two instances you saw low dispossessed. Somebody who saw a couple of stray passes in the first half where had Swans players been in different positions, they may have been able to pick the ball up and transition. I think one thing Brentford possibly do need to look at is when they're playing the passes from deep, it can sometimes be a bit sloppy. Most of the time it's not. But there are the few instances where, I mentioned it last time I was on the podcast as well, there are a few instances where you give possession away cheaply. And against a setup where players are more advanced to begin with in numbers, not like Swansea because the wing-backs still weren't as high as you maybe would have wanted them, I think the front two uh, low and I you did have to defend deeper than they wanted to as well but in instances where possibly the wingers were left up to defend like um, Canyos and Embuemo did they could have possibly hurt Brentford it is a, a way in which uh, they may be conceding goals in future games if it continues like that it, it could well be that after that 10 day period you had off you're still not fully up to speed yet you know so um We'll have to see how that transpires in the next few games of Brentford now. My negative points, I guess I'll do Swansea quickly. I think um, uh, I think it was some of the points that we addressed in the in the preview. I think um, you've got to be worried about you've got to be worried about goals drying up between Low and IU. Are they taking enough shots in matches? Um, you're not a big volume shooter team, like you. And you, I think it's um, it's obviously said that you're you've got a really low goals against total, but. The amount of shots you're conceding doesn't really correlate with how many goals you should be conceding. I think something really special is going on, and I, I think that's going to drop away second half. So uh, that's what I'd find a bit a bit of a worry. I think just looking at where this team continues to score, and hopefully Morris can come in and give some impetus to the front line, and then maybe defensively that it does continue. But I'd be surprised if it if it does really. So you could see a little bit of a drop away. Um, I think negatives of Brentford it's hard to really find any because that sort of performance like you dominate start to start to finish I think and even I I, I believe even saying that um, those fouls that we were talking like giving away those free kicks as you said you couldn't believe they were given away but I, I think that there was only a few of them in the game and even just giving away those couple it, it shouldn't be that that's such a major concern and and I don't think normally it would. It normally Ray would just catch that, or as he did in a couple of others, or some other crosses, and then you just go on the counter attack, or you attack again. So even that, I think, is being really harsh, giving away those free kicks. Um, I mean, I had to be really critical just to answer yeah. the question. You <laughs> yeah. know what I no, mean? I like, know. You got to take probably one of the most dominant performances in the championship, especially at the top end of the season, and try and tell, uh, try and point out how they were bad because really they weren't. It is literally just <laughs> the red cards the free kick mm. it, it, I, I wouldn't be so picky if it like you know it was a free kick they needed to give away it's just there was absolutely no need for the free mm. kick to be given away and we weren't creating another chance after that if, if they just get dispossessed then like we, we I failed to see how we were going to create a chance from open play the only way we were creating a chance there was a set piece and they can control whether they give a set piece away or not. Yeah, you can shepherd someone out wide. Yeah, I, I think, you no, know, you probably are. These these are the big negatives. They're clutching your straws. But I, I guess also not capitalising on being a man up as well. I think you, you're, you're 10 men. The opponent's down to 10 men. Um, you've hammered away pre-match, like before that moment. They should be tired. They've been spent loads of the game without the ball anyway. Um, 
I don't know. They, I guess, if you're a coach and you're talking to them, you can't be harsh on them because they've done enough to score. You, you just, this, you just come into like. Good no, you've got to keep or... the mentality up, and you've got to tell, you've got to tell them, you, you've got to tell them on any other day you deserve to win, which would have been true. And then you've got to take that into the next game. And I feel like it is. It would. I can't even remember who gave away the free kick. It would be worth pointing out to them because that you could be in that situation again. You could be one up down to ten men. It's a needless thing to do. It is the sort of thing you'll look back on at the end of the season. Now, I'm not saying Swansea will be in second, but if you finish a point outside the playoffs or two points outside the outside the playoffs, outside second place, you will probably look back on that game and think that was really preventable. I mean, it's a 46 game season. You can digest any game you want, really, can you? I know, but there are some things which I think you will have regrets. And then if you end up in the playoffs, you 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 got to try and pick yourself up again. Then you know what I mean. Yep, you've got to find some life from somewhere, haven't you? And uh, revitalize yourselves. Um, yeah, I think this is a good point. I guess post game, let's let's move on to that a little bit. Um, uh, I, I asked you about how you felt year two um, Cooper was going, and um, you were pretty bullish on there on on what was going on in terms of like this the identified system sticking to something and having a bit of a plan. And I think there's a lot of merit in that. But maybe maybe just like how you felt he. Um, not handled himself but some of the words he was saying and what he was saying after the game do you think it matched like performance or was he just so ecstatic at getting the point and and then where do you think where do you think he's going after this is this is this still the man to lead you to the top or the or the playoffs yeah first of all he's 100% the man to still lead us I mean that isn't going to change off of one game as bad as the game was and I, I think he, he isn't stupid at all Cooper he, he fully knows it was a poor performance but I think what he's built is the mentality we have one of the strongest mentalities in the league by far and coming out and saying that we were bad at this we were bad at that like he he knew that would while that would be the correct thing to say in terms of is did it is that what happened in the game he he knows that's going to diminish the mentality in the squad he knows he's built something really strong then i think he was just kind of thinking right i don't want to make sure I, i i don't want to take away from what we built there, I want to maintain that for the rest of the game. So he 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 knew it wasn't an even game or whatever he said about how there wasn't much in the game before the red card. I think it was something along that lines. He he fully knew that, obviously. But I think what what he's done is because of that mentality he's built. He wants to keep building it. He wants to maintain it. And I don't think he's gonna be critical of the squad or the players or individual performances because that could have a detrimental effect on it yeah no fair enough I I completely get that as well I think Thomas Frank was a little bit more uh, frank in his assessment I think he can be because they do look at things like underlying performance and dominance and like pitch control and and um, like territory and they have got some sophisticated methods to look at who's winning matches and who deserves to win so he gets all that information immediately after games so his um his post match comments very much reflect like what's gone on. Like when Brentford don't hit the notes, he isn't afraid to say. He doesn't he doesn't berate anyone, but he concedes that it wasn't our day. And um I, I just find it interesting to see because it is um it's a facade that Cooper put up really to say that really we know he's not telling the truth. Like no one's happy with that performance. It was abysmal. It's like really bad and it's it's not something you want to repeat, but you don't double down and hammer your players and because you have scored and you've equalised. So um you do need to be positive. You do need to be you need to, do need to be thinking about the future and thinking there's no need to do any extra damage. We just forget that. We've got a point, we move on. Yeah, I mean the clever thing about it is obviously anybody who didn't watch the game and read it, they'll probably believe him. It keep it keeps people on his side as well, you know what I mean? I think you got you do have to be careful that about how long you do it for because you look at Neil Harris at Cardiff. I mean, they went on a massive losing streak. He kept coming into the press conferences. He kept saying, "I'm happy about we're playing. We played, you know, it was a good performance. We probably should have deserved a draw, deserved a win, whatever." And when you're on a five, six game losing streak, whatever it was before you get sacked, people just turn on you and start calling you a liar. In the end, so obviously I don't expect a five-game losing streak not at all, Bonzi. But if performances don't improve, he does. It will get to a point where he will need to say, you know, something needs to change. Players need to improve, and they probably will take that on the chin and do what he says. But I, I think if we lost one nil, I don't think he would have been as, you know, 
I'm not trying to find the right words. I don't, I don't think he would have come out and put as much of a positive spin on it as he did if we'd actually lost the game. But when you take when you get a result, you take the result and you're happy with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, yeah, you, you, he's drawn. He's actually got some kind of result out of the game. So it's fair to talk about things in a positive light because you have actually done probably semi what you set out to do. But yeah, I think what you're saying about managers as well is it's when the reality moves so far away from actually what's going on the pitch and you just look you look a bit crazy because you're describing something and everyone else is seeing it in another way and you can't really get away from that for, for too long. It um it just doesn't wash, does it? But yeah, I think this is a good time a good chance to look at the future a little bit. Um this um it could be a tricky time for Cooper. It could be plain sailing. I mean six points in the next couple of games you've got Rotherham next and then Norwich soon after. Um Rotherham are Rotherham are this year's Barnsley, aren't they? They're they're a pressing machine. Um they they're playing well and they've I think they've just come back off the back of a really big win against Borough. Borough like scoring yeah. three goals against Borough. Not many teams do that. Um how how are you feeling about the next two games and do you think uh do you think that performance against Brentford will have any impact? Really bad time to play Rotherham. Like really bad. I I I love Paul Warren. I love the way he sets up Rotherham to play again. Like you very much have two squads who both have a really strong mentality. I mean, it's amazing for Rotherham that you know they've been in the championship twice. They got relegated twice, but they keep coming back and they're improving every time they do come back. And I actually do think they'll stay up this season. I I mean, it, the problem we have is when we set up to play against teams that press as high that's when you see the long ball football and you really don't want to be playing long ball football against Rotherham I think the previous fixture we just did deserve to win but they made it ridiculously hard for us I think they've improved since then you can argue we've probably stayed where we are so we're playing a we're playing a better Rotherham side than we played last time in terms of form Norwich I mean there's never a good time to play Norwich they, they um they keep winning games. They keep winning games easily. I'd say easily anyway. I don't. I don't think they're. I don't think they're playing out to their skin. But they're. They are a really efficient team. I think the reverse fixture. We probably deserved a draw against them. We lost that one nil. I'm worried that we're going to start seeing a, a repetition of the of what we're seeing in terms of are we going to turn up in big games? We didn't really turn up for Bournemouth. We didn't really turn up for Brentford did turn up for Reading and Watford, so I, I I think if we, say, get a draw and a loss, then that kind of we, we lose a lot of our momentum, because no doubt the teams around us, Brentford being one of them, will probably pick up um, results in those games. I mean, I mean, you're probably going to talk about the two games Brentford have next, and they're a lot favourable fixtures, I, I would say, anyway, than uh, the two Swansea have. Yeah, it could be a sort of decisive week in terms of those, those top positions. Just... Uh... Yeah, just um, just what it does to mentality a little bit. Just losing that space, losing that second. I guess whilst you're still there, you've got that confidence to think that we are a top team and we can we can continue and we can come back and beat teams. But um, lose your next couple and uh, Norwich pull away even further. And the likelihood is, as you were just saying, Brentford have got Wickham and Bristol. Two. The reality is they're two of the weakest teams in the league. Bristol are not really not really a strong side with a lot of money spent but they're not really a strong team and Wickham are are also pretty weak as well so Brentford would be surprised if um the unbeaten run is broken against those teams and that's not saying it won't be it might be um it could it's got to come to an end sometime but it looks like this could be a period of um a little bit of a swing but yeah we'll um we await uh we await with interest um just another couple of things I guess just as we're starting to wrap up do you do you think, I think if you look at what you need to finish to, to sort of get into the automatics and then um, the playoffs, you, you're you going to need to get around 85 points, I'd say, maybe 80, 85 points. It depends. I think 90 is the figure that, that everyone always says. If you get 90, you'll get promoted. But I, I, do think the, I do think the standard in the league throughout the entire league is probably a lot closer. A lot of the teams going for sick for really, well, not for sick, for just outside of sick for really close together. The top six are probably a lot closer together than they normally are normally there's one or two which are above the rest of them like we saw with Leeds and West Brom for the most part of last season before Brentford came back into it and Fulham came back into it um I mean, yeah I'd be surprised if we saw a 90 team this year I think um there's too many mistakes and the fixture schedule's too I think it's a little bit more open I don't think there's that much dominance Norwich probably the go the closest I don't think Brentford will hit 90 but we'll see I think it's going to be that around 85 88 mark maybe 
could be something locking around around eight, 82, 83, something, just locking out in there. I mean, 47 points is Watford and Swansea in second. Swansea have a game in hand. Brentford have two games in hand, which would take them up to 51 if they win both of them. Um, do you think Do you think Swansea have got the the minerals in them and to to go into that sort of big total? Where do you think you're Where do you think you're going to end? It's, it's hard to say right now. I really want to see Morris play. I really want to see Hurahan get up to speed. Like I, I know we shouldn't really base an entire promotion prediction off of two players, one of which that you haven't seen yet. But um, I, I, I do genuinely believe in Morris. I believe in Hurahan as well. I, I, like I really didn't expect to see us bring in players this window that improved the eleven. Everything everyone was saying, Swansea just don't have depth. If they get depth, they'll probably be there or thereabouts. But to see two players come in, I think Morris. While he's he's probably about there or thereabouts with low in terms of ability, Hurahan improves our midfield definitely. It, it brings us a different element for sure. I I think we could hit the eighty mark. It's just about how do we react to a poor display? How do we go about the way we set up for the rest of the season against uh, certain teams? Now, I I think it's so tough to say in it because Bournemouth, Reading, Brentford, Watford, Swansea. The, so close together, Norwich have got a bit of a gap opened up. I think what I'll say is we can get to eighty odd points, but um I don't think we'll get there unless something changes possibly in attack. I think the defence will fall off a little bit. I don't think it'll capitulate. I think it'll fall off a little bit, which will mean our attacking metrics need to improve somewhat to subsidize for it. And that will probably come from Hurahan and Morris, and that's why I'm so on the fence about it because I've seen Hurahan play twice and he's not fully fit yet and Morris hasn't made his debut so it, it is a really hard prediction to put out there at this point in time. It is there's a few moving um, moving objects that need to settle and uh, us to get a bit more evidence um, uh, yeah it's going to be a fascinating second half of the season I, just, I think it's going to be survival of the fittest personally I think your midfielders are going to feel it at the end of this year there's going to be a lot of running for them um, I think that's yeah that's why Hurraham was brought in just to give give a bit more give a bit more sort of legs into the engine room. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he gets on. Yeah, I'm, I'm still annoyed we loaned Byers out to Portsmouth. I was just going to say only because I don't know how bad the injury to Corey Smith is. But you're talking about if we persist with a five-three-two, you're on about a three-man midfield, and you're on about having five bodies for it basically on you. Normally, you're looking two bodies per position. So to say we'll persist with four. Just to get Bias some minutes. I know, like he's been out injured for so long. He only played one FA Cup game before going out to Portsmouth. But I think you, 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 you'd want to have five, even if you're going to have him as a definitive fifth choice, and he isn't going to get many minutes. Because say now the Smith injury's bad, you're literally looking at um, the bare midfield three, and you're looking at youth players on the bench who, like, you're looking Ollie Cooper, Dan Williams were there at the moment, and Ollie Cooper got on in the FA Cup, but both of them could end up going out on loan apparently so if I, if you have someone come off injured then then you've actually got to abandon the five uh, or the three five two formation which is just really not something we want to do because even though it hasn't been as good for us in some of the recent games it, it is what's got us to where we are it's better to stick with it overall you probably say yeah yeah i don't think it's time to rip up the um yeah rip everything up and start again i think there's a good foundations there it's just whether you've got the bodies to to fulfill it and whether you run out of steam and i, d- I don't think you're going to be the only team that does that i think there's going to be a team, few teams that might struggle this year but that's just part of the part of the schedule but um yeah, I, I think we wrap up there. Ben, thanks so much for coming on. I think that was awesome. Um, really good to chat again. Like, um, I know it must have been hard. It was it was a tough game to watch, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't easiest. No, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it again. Yeah, hopefully we get you back on again soon. Um, just please don't let it be in the playoffs and let it be... Well, I don't know. Actually, maybe we don't want to speak to you again soon. So that might let be, be in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Um but yeah, that just leaves me to say thank you again to Ben um, and do all the housekeeping bits. Yeah, so search Beast Tactical wherever you search for stuff on Twitter or or the blog on um, Substack. Uh, there's also the Patreon to support the podcast and um, some of the other writing. Uh, also review the podcast um, on Apple or wherever you review podcasts or listen to them, Spotify. Um, yeah, just uh, just let us know that you're enjoying it or, or not liking it or, or want to hear more. Um, Yeah, thank you again to Ben and we'll catch you next time.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.